0: Once upon a time, there lived a prince named Absalom, born into the house of David, king of Israel. The third-born son, you could imagine what kind of dreams danced in his head, spending life on the palace grounds, running laps around the great banquet hall table. Sneaking into the throne room when dad was gone to sit on the throne and to daydream about what it could be like if one day he could be king. Absalom, son of David, king of Israel, he was the picture of masculinity, beauty, and strength and wisdom all found in this young man. Life was at his fingertips. Scripture describes him from the bottom of his feet to the top of his head. He's a beautiful dude. His crowning achievement was his luxurious hair. His hair was so thick and so long that at the end of each year, it was an actual event. They would cut it and weigh it to see how much his hair had weighed for that year. As a young man, perhaps his greatest struggle in life was untangling his hair in the morning. But everything changed for him when his sister was violated. His sister Tamar, and he had an older half-brother named Amnon, and Amnon felt Tamar was beautiful. And so he deceived her and brought her into his home, and against her consent, he took her. Tamar was left to grieve. She had a long robe on which she had torn and she had thrown ashes on herself. And it's in that condition that Absalom heard her cry. He immediately went into action, took her into his home, told her to speak of what had happened to no one, keep it quiet. And out of his anger, he began to plot how he would destroy his older half-brother. Two years of silence until the right time came when he had the plan. He would throw a boy's trip, a road trip with all the king's sons to leave the city of Jerusalem and to have a great feast And it would be in that setting that he would give a signal to his servants to strike his brother dead. And they did. This young man, bent in his anger, found another target. It was the throne which perhaps he had daydreamed about as a boy. And for four years, he began to plot. Absalom would stand at the city gate where people would enter in to come and find counsel with the king. And he would intervene, hear their problems, and answer them. And over the course of four years, he gained their trust. He won their hearts. And the day came that he decided he would take the throne. And he marched on the city of Jerusalem after proclaiming himself king in the very place where his father had years before, in Hebron. He marched on Jerusalem, deposed David, and David fled. Only one thing remained for Absalom to solidify his kingdom, and that was to kill his father. And so he sent his armies out after David and his men. But they did not anticipate the seasoned, battle-proven warriors that surrounded King David. Absalom's armies were overrun, and he found himself fleeing for his life on a mule. He went through a thickly forested area, and his luxurious hair blowing in the breeze got tangled in the branches, and his mount went out from underneath him. And he was left hanging, entangled by his hair. King David had said, had left specific instructions, if you come across Absalom, do not harm him. Bring him back to me. But his general Joab set aside that command from David, and he ran Absalom through with three spears into his chest. And then had 10 soldiers ensure that Absalom would die. Let me ask you this Did Absalom have evidence to become angry? Was there not this moment where he felt immense pain, that he had proof, that he had evidence to react this way? The answer is yes. His sister taken against her wishes, abused and violated. He became angry. We all get angry. Just ask any mother with a newborn this weekend in Topeka. No one blows up a city like Topeka, Kansas with fireworks. When we first moved here, Amy was like, David, you need to call the police. (laughs) The police are out there going, watch this, (laughs) boom. (laughs) We all get angry. In fact, anger in and of itself is not right or wrong. It's an emotional response when our expectations are met or we're abandoned or we've been betrayed. We get angry. It's part of our makeup. But Scripture will simply say, in your anger, do not sin. And like Absalom, we can find ourselves easily entangled by our anger. From his life, we will discover three dangers that demand a godly response to our anger. Anger is dangerous and we become easily entangled. There is a way through it. But first, let's look at these dangers that await us. The first anger danger is that we react to the pain. We react to the pain. We've been wronged. We have proof and we just react. We can react in a couple of ways. The first is we can react with passive violence. It's passive because it's a withdrawal of yourself. Where you perhaps withdraw for self-protection or you remove yourself from the issue or the person or persons. It's violent because it's done with the intent to harm back. It's sarcasm. It's passive aggression. I think we find with the trouble with anger... Is that this is where generation patterns really show themselves? Because for years, we were on the receiving end of other people's anger and how they handled it, and we have a model for us that we repeat. Many of us are prone to be very passively violent, it's called the silent treatment. Look at this passage, 2 Samuel 13, verse 22. But Absalom spoke to Amnon neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister Tamar. It felt so right to remove himself. We can react this way. On the other hand, we can react with active violence. This is where, out of our pain, we defend ourselves and we move to strike, or we use words as weapons. How many of you have spoken something so rash, something that you didn't truly believe, but because of your anger, you let it fly? You are so stupid! Then, when you calm down and come to your senses, you have to deal with the fallout. Some of you have been so consumed by anger that you have physically struck those you love. Absalom did. Absalom commanded his servants, Mark when Amnon's heart is merry with wine, and when I say to you, strike Amnon, then kill him. Do not fear, have I not commanded you, be courageous and valiant. When we react to pain, it's usually not balanced. We can withdraw ourselves, or we can cause injury actively. Anger is dangerous because we react out of the pain. Anger is also dangerous because our anger can cause pain. When we react, it's very easy for others to become hurt in the process. You may have heard the phrase, hurting people hurt people. And our anger can cause pain. Pain. One of the reasons this is true is we cannot contain our pain. It's an, em- it's an emotion. Emotions spill over. It doesn't come nicely packaged in a box. Hello, here's your anger. <laughs> it's got a bow. And... It doesn't work that way. Our anger can spill out of us. And there's fallout. Look at the fallout around Absalom's actions. First of all, his older half-brother Annon died. His His sister Tamar was left desolate and ashamed. David the king was deposed. The military was sent into needless battle. There were men who lost their lives. Fighting a fight, they were commanded to fight, but there was no rational reason for them to be in conflict. And so there were women and children who lost their provision Because of one man out of control. And the people were left confused and misled. There is fallout when we spill our pain out on others. We cannot contain our own pain. Out of our pain, we also end up making harmful agreements. harmful agreements that come in the form of, I will never eat at Taco Bell again. (laughs) I will never let him or her hurt me again. The problem and the danger with causing other people pain through making a harmful agreement is you have to then live according to your own agreement. Hey, it's Thanksgiving. Will you come? No. I will never. So I won't. Now there are times to create boundaries around unhealthy people, okay? But make no mistake that when we make these kinds of bargains and agreements to ourselves, I will never be him, I will never be like her, I will never allow them in again. It has an effect on us and those around us. On us personally, there's physiological damage that's done. Prolonged bouts of anger can take the toll on the body in the form of high blood pressure, stress, anxiety, headaches, and poor circulation. Research also shows that even one five-minute episode of anger is so stressful that it can impair your immune system for more than six hours. In this study, they took two crowds, they put them in one room and in another one, room, one crowd was exposed to five minutes of footage that would create anger and frustration within you. The other crowd was shown video footage that would, that would create compassion and care, like puppies and stuff. <laughs> then they went, ran all kinds of physiological tests of blood work and, and those kinds of things. And what they found was that anger and frustration and exposure of five minutes that their results were anywhere between three and up to six hours of depleting the immune system and making you more susceptible to illness. That was the result of watching passively something on a screen that stirred emotion. Now put yourself in a position where you are an active participant, where you have evidence to be angry, and then you decide to make this harmful agreement that doesn't last for five minutes. It lasts day after day after day after day. And you must live with yourself. And the decision to do so is killing you and the relationships around you. Anger is dangerous when we react from pain because it hurts other people, it hurts us ourselves. So we can spill out to others and we can actually carry our pain and that sometimes feels like the right thing to do that we just got to go tell somebody about this. And so this creates then our third anger danger that we gain support from our crowd. We gain support for our crowd. But this is also dangerous. Because a crowd can't be objective. You guys read Facebook lately? The post starts like this. Well, I believe it's now time for me to share what's really been happening. And here is what he's done. Comment, 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 comment. We're with you, we're with you, we're with you. Well, now that our news is out, let me add this to your understanding. Same people. Comment, 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 comment. comment. We were with you, and then we, we didn't know. Now we're, with you. now we're with you. When a marriage is being pulled apart at the seams and they take their pain to their family, family chooses family. It's how it works. Because the crowd does not want to see you continue in your pain. They just want the quickest way out. They cannot be objective. Look at the people of Israel. It says, And whenever a man came near to pay homage to Absalom, when he was standing at the city gates, he would put out... Absalom would put out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him. Thus Absalom did to all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. The men of Israel had sworn allegiance to their king, David, until the next flavor of the month showed up. And they changed their allegiance. It also shows us that while it's very difficult for people to be objective, they're fickle. The crowd is fickle. It can change in an instant. You may or may not be aware that we are in the midst of a presidential election. And I find it fascinating, it's how our process works that at one time there was a wide field of candidates. Each field, each individual candidate had their team, their crowd, their supporters, they were very passionate behind them up until the point their candidate backed out of the race. Until, whoop, hour with him, or whoop, hour with her. When just months before they had this logical rationale as to why they would be the worst candidate on earth. Oh, now that's all we got, so okay. A <laughs> crowd is fickle. We do need wise counsel, but there's a danger in taking your pain to other people. It's very difficult for them to be objective to give wise perspective because their motivation will just to see, see, I don't want you to hurt anymore. So they'll stand with you. they go, go, well, what, what do you think you should do? I think I should leave. Oh, okay. Hear me, there are times when we must draw safe boundary lines, but this is a danger that happens when we simply react from our pain. And out of this stirred up emotion, we are locked in fight or flight. And we don't necessarily make the best decisions. Listen, we all get angry. I can be an angry dude. Passively violent. Sarcastic. Once upon a time, there was a pastor who came to a weekend. When seeing a room not set up to his liking, he became angry, for he had an event that was of utmost importance. Seeing the room not in the condition in which he wanted, he muttered and told others and grabbed tables and carried them on his own, picked up the room on his own. All the while, angry, only to find out he had never submitted the event request. That pastor is Brian Trias. <laughs> Something like that of, I thought I got this done and it didn't get... Look, we all get angry and we all have reasons and it can feel so justified. We can feel so right to act out and just react. The danger is, is our pain isn't contained and it affects others. And so we need a godly response rather than a passive or violent reaction. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus is our model for everything in life. We look to him. Our pain can be a reminder of what he did for us. So I'd like to share with you from 1 Peter chapter 2, an example from Jesus that is our way out. It can untangle your pain. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Jesus was reviled. Jesus was struck. Jesus was abandoned and betrayed. If there was ever a man to have a right to react out of anger, it would be him. In fact, he became the object of the anger of God. Our sin is an affront to a holy God. He has wrath against anything that would be unholy, which is us. Because of our pride and because of the sin that, was, that first began with Adam and Eve has been carried over to us, we have a problem. And the payment for sin has always been death. Something has to die. That's why they made sacrifices in the Old Testament, and it's why Jesus came. And it says, for the joy set before him, knowing that through him there would be healing and forgiveness, he endured the cross. He scorned its shame. And now he's seated in a rightful place as king. In this passage, it says Jesus continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Do you think it hurt Christ when his friends left him? Do you think he felt that? I know he did. The scripture says he's a man familiar with our grief, he knows our suffering. This passage says he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. In the account of Amnon and Tamar, Tamar pleaded with Amnon take this matter to the king. Take it to the king. He can make this right. Amnon said no. Absalom comes into the scene. He doesn't take her to the king. He takes matters into his own hands. He says, tell no one, stay in my home. We have a king who has borne our pain. Jesus' death on the cross broke the power of sin done by you, and he has broken the power of sin done to you. The feeling of pain when you are angry can be taken to Him, our King. When we take it to Him, we find healing for our pain, and then we can find guidance and counsel and wisdom as to what do I do with this evidence? There was injury, there was betrayal, there was wrong. But if we don't get rid of the pain or continue to take it to our king, we will simply make matters worse by reacting to it. When he died to set us free. Some of you are living in pain and anger. It is the undercurrent of your life And the temptation with a life filled with anger is to take control and to control with violence, whether passive or active. But you make a horrible king. Your control doesn't work. My control, my sarcasm doesn't work. And we can lay it all down and we can find freedom. We just have to get off. And humble ourselves and go, I'm tired. I'm exhausted of carrying all this anger, all this pain, I'm done. It demands humility to bow your knee to the one who who died for you, that you would take your pain to the king. Let it go. There is freedom and peace to all who would receive him. He died for your sin and the sin done against you. It doesn't work. And when we set ourselves up as king, it begins to kill us. Physically, relationally, emotionally. Friends, Jesus is our way out. Let us fix our eyes on Him. Will you pray with me? Lord, we confess we make awful kings and queens. Lord, may our pain be a reminder to go directly to you, our King. You have borne our pain. You're familiar with our sorrow. In you, God, we find an understanding that goes beyond the crowd. You can heal the pain so that we can see what should be done in response to the evidence of our hurt. Lord Jesus, thank you for being the willing sacrifice and that in your name we are healed. It's in your holy name we pray, amen.